Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus, you are good. God, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel, of salvation, of eternal life, of a relationship with you. God, would we continue to trust in you, trust in you even more for the transformation that you want to do in our lives. And we thank you, God, for the work that you do want to do. Open our hearts and our minds now to help us hear from you how we can submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our study through the book of Romans, and we're heading into chapter 12. And as I said last Sunday, I'll repeat again, a simple way to understand the book of Romans is to look at it in three parts. The first part would be chapters 1 through 8. That's the gospel. That's the part where we learn about the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how by faith we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. But then, after eight chapters of that, Paul kind of shifts gears and he talks about Israel. In light of the gospel, he talks about God's plans to bring Israel back to himself. And it, and it ended majestically. It ended with this wonderful passage of glory. But then Paul shifts gears again in chapters 12 through 16 to finish off the book. He talks about practical living. There's a bunch of commands in this part of Romans. You'll notice a, a much higher percentage of commands in this part of Romans than you did in the first two parts. So it's here now, in light of the gospel, we find out how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to obey and follow God. So there's a pretty noticeable shift as we head into chapter 12 today. Although we actually saw the beginning of that shift last Sunday. We, we saw, after three chapters of some pretty deep theology, we saw the Apostle Paul light up in praise. So he was already making that transition from here's what's true about God to here's what we should do about it. And the first thing that Paul did was to praise God. And now as we head into chapter 12, we'll see some more practical things that we are to do. And it has to do with worship again. But worship not just as something that we sing, but worship as a way of life, as a way of offering our bodies, ourselves, continually to God. That's what we're going to look at. So the, the question is, in Romans... Now, 12 through 16, what are we supposed to do with these wonderful truths that we have learned? And I want to put a quote up here for you from the theologian Doug Moo. Again, I'm reading one of his commentaries as I walk through the book of Romans. He said, The good news of Jesus Christ is intended to transform a person's life. I hope you know that. I hope that this stuff that we're talking about day after day, week after week, isn't just knowledge to you, but it's something that is actually meant to change your very soul to change you from the depths of who you are. The gospel is meant to make you a different person, the person that God intends for you to be. So we're going to start off these chapters 12 through 16 by looking at just two verses today, the first two verses of chapter 12, uh, power-packed verses, and, and these are verses that I would highly suggest that you memorize. These were some of the very first, if not the first verses that I memorized as I began walking with the Lord in high school. Uh, and they have stuck with me. I, I would encourage you, especially uh, those of you who are in junior high or high school or heading off to college, I'd especially encourage you to remember these verses because they can stand as a wonderful contrast for you about the way that you're supposed to live as opposed to the way that the world lives. They're important verses. And they help us answer the question, what does God want from us? Now think about that question. What does God want from us? All throughout the ages, people have tried to answer that question, right? 
Think about it, 3,000 years ago, people would offer animal sacrifices to God. Now, some of them were doing that because God's law told them that they were supposed to do so. But other people, a bunch of pagans all throughout the world, were offering animal sacrifices to try to appease their gods. Is that what God wants for us now? That's certainly what God asked his people to do in the Old Testament, but what about now? Maybe we say God doesn't want animal sacrifices, but maybe some people say, well, God's, uh, God wants our money. I, I think that a lot of people think that when they, when they start to investigate Christianity. Maybe have, they have this concern about, well, is, if I start going to church, am I just going to have to give God my money? I've heard that Christians are supposed to give 10% of their money. Is that, is that what God wants? Now, I'm not here to say, no, that's not what God wants, but I'm just trying to ask the question, is that really what God is after? Just your checkbook? Or is there something more? What more could there be? Well, is it, is it church attendance? It's funny today, if you look at the polls, you'll see a bunch of polls out there about how often people attend church, as if that is the measure of spirituality. Is that the way that God is measuring us? Is that what he wants from us first and foremost? Is that we would put our behinds in a pew or a, a nice padded grape seat like we have for you here in the sanctuary? Is that what God is after? What is it that God wants from us? Well, these verses today will help us see what it is that God wants for us. And I'll give you a very quick overview of my answer right now. God wants our bodies and our minds. These two verses that we're going to look at today, the first one kind of focuses on how we can honor God with our bodies, and the second one on how we can honor God with our minds. So I'm going to put the verses up on the PowerPoint now, and we're just going to kind of walk through these verses. They fit on the PowerPoint there. I'm just going to leave them up, and I've highlighted some words later on that you'll see. Uh, but we're going to talk about how our lives can be changed so that we can honor God with what we do and with what we think. And we're going to start off with the first line where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. I want to highlight that first word, therefore. Now when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what are you supposed to ask? What's it there for? Hey, you guys have been trained pretty well here. All right, good job. A little bit louder next time, but yeah, you got it right. Okay. Um, now, in my opinion, this is one of the most famous therefores in the Bible because, like I said, it kind of stands at one of those transition points in the book of Romans, and I think that this therefore actually points back to all the rest of Romans that we've seen so far. So all about the gospel message. When, it, when Paul says therefore, he means therefore in light of the gospel. So let's do a quick recap of how the gospel message shines forth in the book of Romans. I put some verses on the overhead here. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, every single one of us, we came into this equation as sinners. And we, by our actions, by our thoughts, by things we've done and not done, we have shown ourselves, proven ourselves over and over to be sinners. We were disobedient. How does God treat sinners? That's one of the questions that I've been coming back to in the book of Romans, because it comes up so often. How, how is it that God treats sinners like you and me? Well, look at this wonderful verse, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God respond to sinners? With love, with the death of Jesus Christ for us. And there's those little words again, like we celebrate in communion. For us. Christ died for us. And Jesus 
when he was here on earth, in his public ministry, walking around, he made it very clear that we would die in our sins unless we believe in him, unless we give our lives to him, put our faith in him, that we would die in our sins. So God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to die in our sins. He wants to rescue us out of that, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ to forgive us. So we can be forgiven through Jesus, but who is it that's forgiven? Well, Paul tells us very clearly who gets in on this forgiveness. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel message there, to believe in Jesus. And by the way, to believe in him means to live your life according to his ways. It's, it's not just saying, well, sure, I believe that he rose from the dead. It's saying, I'm going to live my life according to the truth that he rose from the dead. I'm going to give my life to him. He gave his life for me. I'm going to put my faith in him and live for him. So that's the gospel message, at least a very uh, a quick recap of the gospel message in the book of Romans. Uh, but there's one other word that I want to point out in that first phrase. It's the word mercy. Uh, or more literally, the word is plural, so you could talk about it as mercies, because there are many merciful things that God has done for us. Uh, do you remember at the end of chapter 11, Paul ended this three-chapter-long theological description about how God was dealing with the Israelites and the Gentiles? He ended it by talking about mercy in 11.32. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And again, when it, when it says that God has bound them over, it's like he has caught us like fish in a net. We were the ones who were swimming around in obedience. God caught us, but the reason that he caught us is to have mercy on us, that he loves to forgive. So do you see how this verse is starting out so far? Uh, these two verses? Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, we're supposed to be thinking about the gospel, we're supposed to be thinking about the mercy of God. But then it gets to the action point here when it says uh, that we are to offer, it says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So offering our bodies as sacrifices is in replacement of what the Old Testament scheme was where we would offer animal sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, worshippers were supposed to honor God by bringing animals from their flocks and their herds to be sacrificed as a way to worship. And there was some ritual cleansing that could go on so that people could continue to go on to worship. But now, we aren't supposed to offer animals. What are we supposed to offer? Our bodies. Our very selves we are supposed to offer as living sacrifices. And actually, there's three descriptions of what our sacrifice is supposed to be. It's supposed to be living, holy, and pleasing. And let's walk through each of those. I think I've got them highlighted here. Yep, we're first supposed to be living sacrifices, and this is good news, right? It means that we don't have to be slaughtered and burned in order to live lives to honor God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for that. Although sometimes that creates a problem. Have you ever heard the joke about the problem with living sacrifices? Oftentimes they walk away from the altar. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to offer ourselves the sacrifices and then we see what that might start to cost us and we start to say, whoa, maybe I don't want to do that. that. That's the problem with us sometimes. We're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, but sometimes we resist. Now, in one sense, offering an animal sacrifice is way easier, right? You offer the animal, it dies, and that's the end of the story, at least until the next time that was required by the law that you had to offer an animal sacrifice. But it's actually kind of easy in some ways to do that. But for us now, 
We're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That means that we are to honor God with all that we do. Our entire lives are supposed to be lived as a a sacrifice, as worship to God. Everything we do... Now, I'm, I'm convicting myself as I say that because I look back at my life and I think about things that I have done, even recently, that were unholy. Uh, We'll get to that word holy in just a moment, though. But uh, right now, we're looking at the word living. Have you ever heard the the phrase, and I think there's some truth in it, dying for God is easy, it's living for Him that's hard? Um, Because in one sense, you you die and then it's done, and then you get to be with God forever. That's in some ways easy. It's difficult for us, day by day, moment by moment, to live our lives for God. Yet that's what we're asked to do. We're asked to be living God sacrifices so worship in that sense is an every moment sort of a thing and we can worship God in all that we do we can worship God even at work now, now I'm a pastor so let's not think about my work let's think about your work let's say you go into the office or you go into the store and everything that you do there can be an act of worship the next customer that you deal with you can treat that customer as if that were the Lord Jesus Christ Or if your boss gives you an assignment, you can work as if working for the Lord because that's scriptural. That's the way that we're supposed to do it. And as you live your life that way, you treat the people around you the way that you should, that is an act of worship. So I actually think that's really neat. That um, I I realize that there's this tension for some of you out there to think that, well, you know, I I work, I, I put in my 40, 50, whatever hours per week, but then finally I get to come on Sunday and worship. Well, you know what? You can worship God at work. I want you to think about that this week. I want you to think about how you can worship God, whether you're pounding a nail or working on the computer or whatever it is you're doing. Do it as worship for the Lord. Because we can worship God in all that we do. We can worship God with our families, the way that we treat each other. Uh, We can worship God in our free time, the things that we choose to do or not to do. can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And then also we are supposed to be holy sacrifices. Now when an animal was offered, it was supposed to be spotless, right? You weren't just supposed to pick the weakest one or the sickest one or the ugliest one and give that to God. That would not be a pleasing sacrifice. You were supposed to offer one that was holy, meaning spotless and pure. Now for us, that means that we are to offer ourselves as pure and holy sacrifices to God. That means that we're supposed to rejects the things that are wrong. And we're supposed to choose the things that are right. Now, how are you all doing at that? That's difficult, right? The world throws a bunch of stuff at us, and sometimes we're tempted to follow suit. But we are to offer our lives as holy sacrifices, not allowing ourselves to be tainted by sin. Choosing, then, to reject what's wrong and to pursue what's right. Holy sacrifices. So think about your life even this past week. Is there anything unholy about it? Again, we're supposed to offer our bodies to God as sacrifices and they're supposed to be holy. So if there was something unholy, what should you do? Well, just talk to God about it. Ask for his forgiveness and cleansing and ask for the strength and the wisdom to choose what's right as you move on from here. And then third, we are to offer ourselves to God as pleasing sacrifices. In Ephesians 5.10, it says, and find out what pleases the Lord. 
Did you know that the rest of our life is supposed to be a process of us figuring out what God likes and then living our lives according to that? Um, it's kind of like in a marriage. You're, you're supposed to figure out what your spouse likes and, and you know, do those things occasionally. Not, not that we serve and, and, or worship our spouse, although we can serve our spouse, of course. But the idea is we get to know them more and more, and, and as we do that, we figure out what they like. Now, with our relationship with God, we're supposed to get to know him more and more, figure out what he likes and doesn't like, and then live our lives in such a way that will be pleasing to him. And we can offer ourselves to him as a pleasing sacrifice. And at the end of the verse, it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, the word spiritual here is a hard word to translate. A different translation would be reasonable, or one that I kind of like is the word informed. The idea behind this word is that God gave us minds. See, we were created in the image of God, and one of the things that he gave us humans is big brains, minds that can think, minds that can make choices, minds that can actually know God. So think about this. Um, The way for an animal to be a sacrifice was for it to be slaughtered and burned. But the way for us to be a sacrifice is to offer our minds to God. In everything we do, choosing to honor God. And the reason we do this again, don't forget, it goes back to God's mercy and the gospel message. God has been merciful to us. And when we understand what God has done for us, the logical response is for us to give our minds to him and our bodies to him. And and think of it this way. An animal sacrifice is offered against its will, right? It's not like the sheep came up to the master one day and said, hey, hey, mister, I'd like to worship God, so would you bring me to the temple so that I can be slaughtered and burned? No. The master took the sheep and brought it to the temple. And against its will, the animal was slaughtered and burned. But it's different with us because we, as an act of our will, are to offer ourselves. And it gets back to that word for spiritual or reasonable. Uh, The Greek word, and I don't always go to Greek, but here it's pretty interesting. The Greek word is logikos, from which we get our English word logical. So think of it this way. God gave us a mind, and the logical response for us, in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the logical response is that we would give our, our whole bodies, our whole selves, including our minds, to him as an act of worship. The application here, God wants us to worship him with our whole lives. Everything about us, what we do, what we think, we are to live for God as living sacrifices in all we do. So we should flee from evil. We should pursue what's right. We should live for God. God is honored with those kinds of sacrifices. Uh, Let's move on now to verse 2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to point out for you a phrase here first. God's will. Who wants to know God's will? Raise your hand if you would like to know God's will for your life. Okay. What if I said to you, um, everybody, come up. I have in my back pocket here a piece of paper for every single one of you, and on that piece of paper is the answer to the question, your deepest question about God's will. I've got it for you right here. Who would be interested in it? Like, now, I obviously couldn't do that, but, but for some reason, let's say that God just gave it to me, and I had it for you. Who would be interested in hearing what God's will was? 
Yeah, I, I would hope that we would all be. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to know God's will. I had a guy call me up there recently, not a guy from our congregation. I, I don't think you'll be able to figure out who it was, but it was a good conversation, very good conversation. He called me up because he wanted, to, he wanted help figuring out God's will. He had kind of three different possibilities for his career path, uh, three very different directions that his life could go. And he just wanted to figure out which one of these is from God. What is God's will? Now, it's hard for us as humans sometimes to struggle with that, right? Any of you ever been in a place in life where you're wondering what God's will is for your life? You're just not quite able to figure it out. Anybody ever been there? I think we've all been there, right? Well, let me say this. We can know God's will. We really can. It, that's the, the end of these verses. That you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. But it's a lifelong process of figuring it out. So let's take a look. At the beginning of that verse, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The, the world most certainly has a pattern for us to follow, right? Have you noticed that yet? That the world tries to get us to live a certain way? We're not supposed to live that way. We're supposed to be transformed by God instead. And let me say this. We're all constantly being transformed. Let me give you a few examples. I am coaching t-ball this summer, my daughter's t-ball league. And you know what? Those little kids are learning how to play baseball. Uh, and one of the first things that I'm trying to teach them to do is that when you throw, you, you put your opposite foot forward. So if you're a right-handed thrower, you put your left foot forward to throw. And you know what? Most of those kids, even after just a week and a half, are picking up on that. You know, sometimes they still step with the wrong foot, but they are being transformed, hopefully, into better baseball players. Or think about a guy who, uh, a mi middle-aged guy, let's say he looks down at his gut and he says, this is no good, I've got I to gotta get rid of this. So he makes some decisions. Yeah, a guy's sucking your guts right now if nobody looks at you. But, uh, let's say he makes some decisions then to say, you know what, I need to eat better and I need to get more exercise. If he sticks to that, he, his body can be transformed. The gut can kind of go away a little bit. But the opposite is true, right? If we make bad decisions about what we eat, and about not exercising, our bodies can be transformed in a bad way. Or let's think of it this way. Think about the aging process. Every one of us is getting older. Now for you kids, that's a good thing, right? Because you're getting bigger and stronger and hopefully smarter too. Um, but some of you, some of us, I'm going to include myself in this, we notice some more aches and pains as we get older. Or maybe you notice a few more trips to the doctor because things aren't working the way that they should. You see, we're all being transformed constantly. The problem is, some of that transformation isn't good. Now, spiritually speaking, God wants to bring us through a process where he transforms us. Um, but there's a pattern that we are not to follow. You see, think about a kid who starts hanging out with the wrong people and think how quickly that kid can be influenced in a terrible direction. By, by the bad influences around him. And by the way, bad influences aren't just for kids, they're for us adults too. In fact, we adults are maybe exposed to more of it than kids are. All around us, we see a pattern of the world. The world tries to get us to live according to its pattern. And what's the pattern? Live for yourself. Do what you want to do. You know, maybe in America we'd have that little phrase, they don't hurt anybody else. But if you're not hurting anybody, then just do what you want to do. That is the pattern of the world as I see it right now. 
That's not the pattern we're supposed to follow, though, because we are to offer our bodies to God. We don't offer our bodies to ourselves. We're supposed to offer them to God for his purposes. So if we're not careful, we can be influenced by the pattern of the world. And there's a command here. Do not conform. Do not conform. And since it's a command, that means that there's something we're supposed to do. Or here, more accurately, it's something that we're not supposed to do. We're, we're to choose not to follow the pattern of this world. Yes, we live in the world, but we're not supposed to live like the world. We're not supposed to think about our lives just in terms of what we want, okay? You got that? The world will always tell you, live for you, what you want. Don't buy it. We are not to conform to that pattern. What we're supposed to do is in the next phrase, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed is where we get our English word metamorphosis. It's that process like the one that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. Think about that. A caterpillar is transformed from a creepy, crawly thing to a beautiful, flying thing. Now, I actually think a caterpillar, if you were to study it, would be a pretty amazing creation of God as well. But think about even the transformation just from crawling to flying. That's a pretty amazing process that God brings that through. And that's like the process that God wants to bring us through to change us. You know, I was thinking about this word transformation, and again, we all could come up with our own path of life. We all, with our own resources, our own minds, our own strength, we could come up with our own kind of life. But God has something much better for us, and I don't just want to creep and crawl along if God wants me to fly. And you know what? God wants all of us to be changed and transformed, and he wants to bring us through that process. How does that process happen then, the the metamorphosis, the transformation? Well, it tells us in there, it happens by the renewing of your mind. What does that phrase mean? Well, we, we see that word renewal or renewing only one other place in the New Testament, and it's in Titus 3, 5. It says there, he, that's God, saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So how are, how are we renewed in our minds? It's by God, and specifically I would say it's, it's by the Holy Spirit. Meaning then that we are continually to submit our minds to God, to the Holy Spirit, to learn what he has for us. And as we do that, he will transform us. That's how this transformation happens. Um, and it's a command. If we go back, uh, I think I'm going to flip back here. Um, says, be transformed. That again is a command, but it's kind of a funny command because who is the one who does the transforming? It's not us. It's God. God is the one who transforms us. So what's the command then? The command is that we are to offer ourselves to God to let him do that. He is the one who does the work. We are to give ourselves to him to do that work. And what that means then is that our minds are constantly to be in a position where we can hear from God, where we can listen to God, where he can do his transforming work in us. So we are constantly to put ourselves in an environment where we'll hear from God and meet with him. But but let me back the train up just a little bit here. We started off this verse by talking about God's will. And what we're seeing is that we don't learn God's will as we follow the pattern of this world. Okay? Don't expect that. 
Don't expect that you will figure out what God wants for you as you just do what the world around you does. We learn God's will as we let him transform and renew our minds. And that happens as we intentionally submit our bodies and our minds to God. And I'm not talking about mindless obedience or brainwashing. I'm talking about a choice that we make to continue to put ourselves in a place where we will meet with God and walk with him. It's funny. We we think about how we want to be transformed. We think about how we try to transform ourselves. But the truth is, the real power in transformation happens as we seek God. So the question, how do we become the people that God wants us to be? Some people might just throw up their hands and say, I don't know. But we know. We know how we are transformed. We are transformed as we seek God. As we continually live for Him and listen to Him. And let Him transform us. And then the result is given to us here. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Again, we are to use our minds to discern what God wants us to do. And as we seek God, we learn what he wants for us. And as we learn what he wants for us, we choose to live accordingly. And as we do that, God transforms us. That's the process here. So you want to know God's will? He will reveal it to you as you seek him, as you continually offer yourself to him. So back up the train again, I was having this conversation with a guy and I said, you know, my advice for him was, I I don't know which of these three options you're supposed to pick. I could give you my opinion, but I don't really know. But what I do know is that today you're supposed to walk with God. And today you're supposed to make disciples. So you should probably, whichever of the three choices it is, you should probably put yourself in the best position where you can walk with God and make disciples. You see how... You know, we have these questions about, these huge life questions. Who should I marry? Where should I go to college? What job should I get? Uh, how should I serve at church? How should I raise my kids? How should I plan my retirement? All these sorts of questions that we have. But do you see how the answer comes as we continue to seek God day after day after day after day? There's no substitute for that. So how do we know God's will? We keep walking with him, and he will transform us. But we have a choice. Either we follow the ways of this world, or we follow God. And that's a choice that all of us need to make. I often think of that choice happening as a, as a kid goes off to college, because for me, that was kind of one of the times in my life where I had to make a choice. Am I going to follow the pattern of this world, or am I going to follow God? And, and I chose to follow God. And it's a good thing I did because the pattern of this world came beating down my door looking for me. But I I made the choice to follow God. And it's not just for college students. It's for all of us to consider how are we going to live? Are we going to live for God? Or are we going to live for ourselves? Are we going to live according to the pattern of this world? We can be transformed And our transformation is even more amazing than caterpillar to butterfly. It's the transition from death to life. It's the transition from the old way of life, the the life that we think we could get for ourselves, to the life that God empowers. And how do we get that? We get it by seeking God. He does it, 
as we meet with him, as we read our Bibles, as we pray, as we commit to being involved in Christian fellowship with other people, as we listen to wisdom from other believers, God does his work of transforming us. And our transformation isn't just into a butterfly. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. That's the likeness of Jesus. With ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That word reflect there is like the word for looking into a mirror. But it's not a mirror that we're looking into here. What are we looking into? We're looking into the Lord's glory. Think about that. We are to look into the Lord's glory. How do we do that? By meeting with Him. We are to spend time in the presence of God. I think that, that's the key thing that I really want, to, want you to get from this message today. Is that as we spend time in the presence of God, getting to know Him more and more, He will transform us. Again, the command is be transformed. We don't transform ourselves. He transforms us as we seek Him. So if you want to know God's will, walk with Him. There's no shortcut to this. I don't have a piece of paper in my back pocket with the answer to your question. I do have a Bible, though, and I'd recommend that you get to know it. I'd recommend you spending time quietly in prayer, talking to God about the things of your life, submitting to Him, telling Him that He can lead you how He wants to. And I think He'll show you along the line then what His will is. And I like to say it this way. I already know 95% or so of God's will for your life. I may not know who you're supposed to marry, although if you're married, I do know you're supposed to you know, be married to the one that you're married to. That's part of God's will for you. You see, 95% of God's will for your life is the things He's already told us. Things like, know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Worship God. Love the people around you. And as you do those things, I think God will reveal that other 5% to you, that, that 5% that's a little bit more difficult for us to figure out. But there's no substitute for a daily walk with God. Our minds are transformed as we meet with Him. So here's the application for the second point. God wants us to meet with Him. That's part of our spiritual act of worship. That's how we live as living sacrifices. We meet with Him and He changes us. It's kind of like every time we meet with Him, we go into a cocoon and, and we come out like a different person because God is able to make that transformation in us. And again, this happens in our minds. God gave us minds because He wants us to know Him. He gave horses strong legs so that they could run. He gave butterflies wings so they could fly. He gave us minds so that we can know Him. So let's seek Him and get to know Him more and more. Then I want to conclude with this. I want to show you one word, the word pleasing that has showed up in both verses. We are to offer our bodies to God as pleasing sacrifices. And like I said, that means that we're supposed to figure out what is pleasing to Him and then live that way. But then look what happens in verse 2. As we offer ourselves to Him, we get to know God's pleasing will. It says also there that it's good and perfect some people think that that's three different wills, like there's a kind of good one, a medium range one, and then a really good one. I think it's all, all three words describing the same thing. It's a good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's ironic. The world seeks pleasure because they think that's what will be good for them. 
But we are actually to give our lives to God. We, we give up our lives to Him. And in response, He shows us His pleasing will. And the way of this world is empty. It doesn't lead to what is pleasing. But the way of God is very pleasing. So what we're supposed to do is to offer ourselves to Him. And He reveals to us what is pleasing, both to Him and to us. I'm sure you've, most of you have heard this phrase, the best place to be is in the center of God's will. I, I think these verses would attest to that. As we offer ourselves to God, He transforms us and He shows us His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's let God transform us as we offer our bodies to Him as living sacrifices. Let's continue to remember his mercy and the gospel message and let's continue to offer ourselves to him as our continual act of worship. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you let us know how we can honor you and we pray that we would honor you by offering our bodies to you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Help us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but God, I pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we meet with you, that you would transform us. And as we meet with you, God, we pray that you would reveal your will to us, that we might continue to follow you. And we thank you, God, that your will is good and pleasing and perfect. Help us to remember that the ways of this world are not good and pleasing and perfect, but that you are. May we continually offer ourselves to you in worship with our minds and our bodies in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.